thoughts about what it's going to feel like to be, be back at Fenway for the first time this year? <laughs> um, blissful. Uh, yeah, it, I, I love, I love a summer night at Fenway. Um, yeah, it would just be like one further step to putting this thing behind us. I mean, so many of my childhood memories in the summer involve going to Fenway. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to having an $8.50 cup of Bud Light. <laughs> and John Henry appreciates your patronage, good sir. He yes. does, yes. That will afford the next uh, extension and or trade of Superstar coming down the pike. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, there are three places in baseball that I love more than any place else, and it's Wrigley, Fenway, and the Hall of Fame. And I've been to Wrigley twice, and I'm like trying to wreck my mind thinking, how can I get to Boston and the Northeast to see if I can knock both of them out this summer? Maybe you not. Find, you, you don't find the Hall of Fame a little boring after you go once? How many times no. have you been? <laughs> I'm a bit of a baseball nerd, Alex. I've, I've, I've noticed. Yeah. The thing about the Hall of Fame is that it's partly like visiting old friends for me that uh, I like who are dead, who, 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 who are dead and don't yeah. talk. Okay. Right. <laughs> and who honestly, if they could talk like half of them, I wouldn't want to be in their company to begin with. That is true. Yeah. But the the cool thing about how do you th- how, how do you think how do you think Ty Cobb would feel about oh God nights no. oh Lord well Ty Cobb would have been canceled after the second <laughs> game of his career at this point and honestly baseball would be better for it that uh, you th- you think baseball could tolerate a man who ran into the stands and started beating the shit out of a fan and then when told the man had no hands yelled back I don't care if he has no feet <laughs> you think they can market somebody like that or or they prefer trout. Who do you think is the closest uh, to Ty Cobb in today's game, mentality-wise? Wow. Uh, yeah, is, got it. Would Tony LaRussa count? Or? Yeah, uh, Tony LaRussa <laughs> definitely race-wise. Uh, <laughs> Reputation-wise, and this is kind of a weird choice, but the first name that springs to mind is oddly Manny Machado, who is oh, nowhere close in yeah. terms of like actually dirty, but someone yeah. who anytime it seems like there's something happening, like when he takes out the second baseman to break up a double play, like everybody goes nuts for a day or two. It just seems like people would like drop a comp on him real fast like that. When you look closely though, I mean, he's fine, especially compared to the old Georgia peach. But the thing, who's, uh, uh, who's, uh, who's Georgia peach? High Cobb. Cobb? Yeah. Oh, okay. That is peachy, the, uh, pe- peachy yeah. guy. <laughs> the, as opposed to the uh, racist cracker bastard, which is, there you go. Should be on the plaque. Good thing we have the explicit label. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's what this podcast is here for. It's uh, yeah. I don't think Ty Cobb could could last more than three minutes in a podcast before either being dumped or going onto like Adam Carolla's for a safe pace. As I was going to say, there's spot for him on Carolla or Rogan. One of the two. Yeah. Uh, But the thing about the Hall of Fame too, when you go multiple times, is that it's also like a treasure hunt where every so often you stumble across something that makes you go. I did not know they had this. Hmm. Like the thing that pops into my mind about that, the perfect example is just on a random visit about five or six years ago. in I think the world series display, they have, you know, just jerseys, baseballs, rats, all kinds of things. And I stumbled upon, there's a famous play from the 1962 world series where the giants were down one, nothing in the bottom of the ninth with the tying run, Willie Mays on second base and Willie McCovey, crushed a line shot directly into Bobby Richardson's glove at second base and the Yankees won. And all of a sudden, like just that ball, like plain ordinary baseball appears out of nowhere with that description. And I go, I wasn't aware that people kept that, let alone that it's on display for visitors. And like, that was like my cool find of the day. Like I was stoked. And that I I think is a glimpse into my personality more than anything else in the world. 
a random baseball from 1962 hit by Willie McCovey is one of my favorite things in the world to look at for a day. So do you, you know. do you do you go alone? Is this done alone? These Hall of Fame uh, trips? I try not to, but uh, try not to. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If, if I can find someone to go along with, it's always better. But yeah, if I'm by myself, then yeah, I take my time and just kind of, you know, I'm I'm in my Zen element there for whatever reason. It's important to find your Zen element. I'm still yeah. searching for mine. So yeah, I'll and, let you know. Uh, I, I don't think the Red Sox are going to provide, but uh, let's dive into that in a second here. This is the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, episode number 77. Uh, I'm going slightly obscure, not an obscure player, but an obscure number. Pudge Rodriguez on the Astros found out this morning, the 77th episode of Three Strikes You're Out. Money. Really? Yeah. 70, yeah. You were 77 in Houston. Had no idea. And I, I guess Vigio had seven. So was he a part of the 05 team, Pudge? No, was no. That was no. closer to uh, the end of Rodriguez. I think Osmus was on the 05 team. That was closer oh. to the end of Rodriguez's career when he was going like year to year, Yankees, Nationals, and a whole bunch of other right. random teams. Right. Uh, right. But yeah, I'm Ken Schultz, Outsports Baseball Perspectives contributing writer and the other voice you should be familiar with as well. On the Outsports Podcast Network, every Saturday, the host of the Sports Kiki and our deputy managing editor, Mr. Boston, Alex Reamer, is back joining us. Have you ever Mr. been called Boston. Mr. Boston? Yeah. No, they call me a lot of names in Boston. Definitely not Mr. Boston. Uh-huh. I'll uh, tell you that. Uh, do you get the affectionate kid up in Boston? Is that is that a thing up there? Or? They Nobody's affectionate towards me up here, especially <laughs> sports fans. So, Which is the most Boston greeting possible, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah, so let's dive into the Old Town team here because they are, at this point, still kind of good. Uh, as of Wednesday night, we're recording this. They are in second place, two games behind Tampa Bay, and have honestly played really exciting baseball for pretty much the entire season. And the first question yes. I want to ask of you is that uh, last year, of course, Red Sox ownership famously <laughs> violated fans' trust and faith with the Mookie Betts trade. And uh, since they're doing well at this point, have they earned any goodwill back? It's interesting, Ken. You know, uh, John Henry seems to this seems to follow him around wherever he goes. He his team the teams win on the field, but then the fans hate him. I mean, you see what's happening in Liverpool. Just a lot of tone deafness. Are they back? Um, that's a you know you should move to Boston and do talk radio because we that's that's one of the prime topics every summer. It's are the Red Sox likable? You know, do our people into the Red Sox and. Uh, People love talking about like baseball's popularity. It's it, nationally, it's like the only time they talk about baseball these days. Mm-hmm. You know what's going on? But um, I, I would say people like the Red Sox this season. I think that people are looking forward to getting back to Fenway. That's for sure. Um, but so far this spring, I mean, they've kind of been buried by the Bruins are in a playoff run. The Celtics did not. I'm not even going to call what happened there a playoff run, <laughs> but uh, but but they've had. I mean, Danny Ainge quits Brad Brad Stevens, so there's a lot of drama with the Celtics that's been keeping people's attention, especially the last week with all the Kyrie stuff and the Patriots. I mean, we are now one of those cities, Ken, and th- this has been the case for several a few decades. But we're now a place where you know anything Patriots rules. So they draft Mac Jones. That's been the story here, basically, since the NFL draft. You know, how does Jones look at OTAs? Ooh, how's he has his footwork? And now Julio Jones, you know, it's the Joneses, are we, uh, we're all talking. So, uh, so I guess long story short, I don't think the Red Sox have really gone to the forefront yet, but, um, but they will, especially if they keep winning. I think there's a big nostalgic feel 
that the Red Sox bring people around here, myself included, go back to Fenway, you know, all that stuff, have those $8 Bud Lights, and there you go. Yeah, I mean, the Red Sox obviously have the most passionate historical following. Maybe the Celtics are probably pretty close. I mean, I, I am an outsider and therefore not qualified to speak on anything Boston by anybody. The Red Sox the- do. But the thing about the Red Sox is, I mean, curious what the scene in Chicago is. Like, the fan bases all kind of have their own mentalities you know like red sox fans are miserable fucks like even though <laughs> even though they've been great since 04 you know four championships since then uh hating the red sox complaining about the red sox that's a pastime here uh patriots fans are just miserable sobs and not the same <laughs> way the red sox are they're miserable sobs in that if you say the, even the slightest negative thing about the patriots they run you out of town so they are all just hypersensitive Panties in a bunch. No, no love for Patriots fans. Um, Celtics fans are yahoos, and Bruins fans, like Red Sox fans, uh, really like to criticize their team. So I don't know, really, know where we're going there. But oh, right. Chicago, yeah. What's going on there? Yeah. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, each fan base does have its own personality here. That uh, Cub fans are still the biggest drama queens on the face of the planet. That regardless of what happened in 2016 or the fact that they made the playoffs five times in the past six years, we are always still prepared for the other shoe to fall just because that's the only reflex we know that uh, the sky is always going to fall. That if Chris Bryant injures himself for a year, that means he 2016 must've been an illusion. He's going to be terrible the rest of his career. He's soft and he has to go back and literally be the best player in the national league to prove to us that, Oh yeah, he's still got it this year. Uh, White Sox fans exist pretty much as the antithesis of all things cub. Like, they exist pretty much to hate us. We're like like the blue-collar team, right? Like, the Cubs are like, you know, your yuppies in the north side. Oh, yeah. That's that's a long-standing. There are many forces in play about this. I've been to Comerica, no, Comiskey Uh, Park. Yeah, it is now guaranteed rates, downward-pointing arrow field. Oh, nice. That really rolls off the tongue, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bears fans try to live up to the stereotype that a Saturday Night Live sketch set 30 years ago. Yeah, 30 years, yeah. We're still acting like the super fans are current. Bulls fans are just kind of waiting for the next rerun of the ESPN documentary about the 90s Bulls. And Hawks fans are both a whole bunch of newbies excited about the three Stanley Cups and yes. then a bunch of bitter, old, angry, working-class people who are mad that there are more than 5,000 people in the stadium to cheer on the Hawks. So, yeah, it is It is also an odd assortment here. But uh, Hockey fans have that, though. They complain about how their sport is not popular, but yet when new people like their sport, they complain that new people like their sport. So it's they're very confused. They're very cantankerous. Yeah, I, I think and this is just kind of observing from afar, but I think the thing with hockey fans is that there's really no such thing as a casual hockey fan for the most right. part, long time anyway. Like, if you're into hockey, you're into hockey. Right. And so right. it's, it's definitely not easy to pick up. I mean, it's like right. confusing. The rules are complex. Uh, yeah, definitely not. You can't pronounce the names. <laughs> half of it is French Canadian. Yeah. Half of so. it's French Canadian. Half is Russian. But uh, yeah, so I think hockey fans view like anybody who's not a part of their cult, for lack of a better word, is almost an intruder. And how dare you try to join up with this sport that we love so much? And with your lack of knowledge about icing, and I remember the days of the two-line pass. So, you know. Those are good days. Yeah. Uh, can, I, can I pause with my favorite hockey story ever? When I was a kid, I went to a, Black, a Blackhawks uh, North Star, old Minnesota North Stars game back in the late 80s. And that was the days when the North Stars were full of nothing but goons. 
And during the pregame skate around, like both teams are just doing the usual skate around to center ice, shoot the net. I glance down for a second to look at my program. I hear this giant roar and I look up and literally everybody is now at center ice, pummeling the living shit out of each other for 20 minutes. No coaches, no referees, everybody just beating the hell out of each other. And that, I guess, is, is the old time hockey that Blackhawk fans wish we could get back to. But that's not why you called. Uh, so I guess without Mookie Betts, let's uh, go segue back into who is the face of the Red Sox right now? Hmm. Alex Cora. Actually, yeah, I think yeah. Alex Cora. Uh, well, I don't know, let me let, let me uh, let me think about that for a second. Who is the face of the Red Sox? We have JD and Xander, but whatever. Yeah, I would say probably Cora is is the face of the Red Sox. The amazing thing is, I mean, like nobody even remembers that he was involved with the Astros cheating scandal. Never mind the Red Sox own scandal in 2018. That I mean, talk about just a talk about a burial job. I mean, we talk about here how. You know, Roger Goodell, they stepped on the tapes during Spygate. Uh, <laughs> similar things, I think, happened with Rob Manfred in this Red Sox 18 investigation that was just some rogue video operator, like, doing, uh, yeah, please. But, um, yeah, but it's Cora. People like Alex Cora. Uh, he's very personable. He's good with the media. And the players themselves, I mean, it's not huge personalities. You know, J.D. Martinez is a friggin' amazing hitter. He's one of the best free agent signings in Red Sox history. One of the best right-handed power hitters in Red Sox history, really, uh, with the run he's had here. But he's kind of an anonymous guy. And I think if you delve further into his politics, uh, I don't think he'd be very liked around here. <laughs> yeah, he had something a couple of years ago where he was a big, like, he's a big gun guy, which is fine. I think they all are, basically. He's a baseball player. Baseball. Yeah. yeah, they're all they're all big gun guys. Uh, yeah, Xander Bogarts is handsome, but... Uh, you know, kind of keeps to himself. We don't have JBJ anymore, so no more acrobatic catches. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think Core is probably the, the face of this team until maybe Chris Sale comes back from Tommy John and who knows when. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong if I'm hearing this, but are, are you suggesting that Boston fans, Boston sports fans are provincial? A little bit, a yeah. little provincial. Yeah, All right. just a tad. All right, dropping hot takes here on Three Strikes You're Out that, and that, that, that fascinates me that, that they view Cora as kind of the face of this team. And it, it does make sense, given that he is both the throwback to the last great Red Sox team, the right. historically great 2018 right. team. And now that he's come back, he's kind of led them back into, not if not greatness, at least something that's very interesting to watch. Yeah, it's been interesting because you go back to 2018, right? That was the best team in Red Sox history. And then the team in 2019 was kind of analogous to this past Celtics team in that they were underachieving they were so unlikable that was when David Price had his huge thing with Dennis Eckersley as well on the airplane and he became like persona non grata here uh so the 2019 Red Sox were a very unlikable team and then you have that offseason where you have you know Cora gets fired for this season um you have the Mookie Betts trade of course a few other blunders thrown in. And last year was just such a lost year. I mean, I don't, have a tr- I, don't have, I don't think anyone even saw the Red Sox last year. I mean, like, no one was in Fenway. Quite literally, So yeah. the last year didn't even happen. Um, I may have saw, like, five innings last year in total. I mean, I don't even – please. But <laughs> this year, uh, they're slowly making their way back. And Heimbloom – is remaking the organization, Ken. There's a lot of guys on one-year deals. There's a lot more depth. The pitching, I mean, he's that was, you know, Dave Dombrowski 
correct me if you've heard this before, left this farm system in this organization rather barren. There really was not, it was a few stars and then nothing. There was nothing to work with here on the on the edges. So that's kind of what Heim Bloom has been doing the last year. And I think overall you see a much deeper and much more well-rounded team, especially in the pitching staff. So mm-hmm. I think that they're kind of, remaking their identity. They have some young guys who people are excited about coming up and in core again, kind of serves as the face of it. Yeah. It's interesting because I'm um, to draw a parallel. The Cubs are yeah. kind of sort of, at least right now in a bit of the same boat where it was clear from the way this offseason went, the signals were going to be that we're going to try to restock the farm system and get another pipeline going up so that we can have another core in another few years to make a long contention. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself in first place. And now, okay, what you going to do running the team? Because this is an opportunity right in front of you to take if you want it, and it is there. And I kind of wanted to, since you mentioned Dombrowski, uh, J.D. Martinez, who uh, the Red Sox threw out a graphic yesterday. Well, that has, was a good signing from Dombrowski. Yeah, there I wanted to ask. He's had uh, the Red Sox trumpeted. He has 200 extra base hits and 300 RBI in his first 400 Red Sox games, which puts him in, in a company – of Jimmy Fox, right. David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, and uh, some guy named Williams. Nah, uh, never heard of him. So, yeah, so J.D. Martinez, a performance like that, is there sort of vindication of the Dombrowski method, given that he's already won a World Series and you still have control with at least two more years of somebody performing at this historic rate? Yeah, I think people look at that as a very good signing, but Dombrowski left, you know, he left this organization kind of in disarray. Uh, you know, John Henry blamed him for why they had to trade Mookie Betts or ownership did. I mean, Henry seldom speaks to the press, as you know, uh, but but that but that was the the marching line that, you know, we were up against the luxury tax and no flexibility. We had to reset. Um, you know, David Price was definitely uh, unpopular here, as I mentioned at the end. So there's a lot of black marks on Dombrowski, but the J.D. Martinez signing, obviously, I mean, was a great signing, good value signing too, was, it was like five years, 110 million, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And the funny thing is, Ken, when he signed that deal prior to 2018, the conventional wisdom was he'll opt out and he'll be gone. But the Red Sox were lucky in this aspect where the free agent market cratered, especially for designated hitters. And J.D. Martinez, his best option was just picking up the option with the Red Sox. So they've, they've lucked up because if this was a normal free agent world, if this was if there was no COVID last year, I'm not sure J.D. would still be raking in Fenway, but he is. So yeah, it worked out in a that very respect. Good point. And yeah. I, I strongly believe that, especially given the way that teams and front offices are operating in the current baseball environment, that any team that makes a good signing like a J.D. Martinez right now, it's almost amplified given that no one else is signing for agents. So if you sign one and he turns out to be this good, you are so far ahead of so many other front offices. It's really kind of the, uh, the market inefficiency right now is spending right. on good players. Yeah. And Dave Dombrowski right. has the guts to do that. Yeah. Although he was doing it before it became as much of a market inefficiency as it is now. Right. You know, right. it's amazing how much, the landscape of baseball, I think, has even changed over the last five years, I would say. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's something that I've always, it seems like the last two years have just been insane. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's partly, I, I do strongly suspect there is some collusive element to it. Yeah. And it's also because baseball front offices are always copycats. If someone does right. something that's new, that, that gets noticed, everyone wants it. 
So the thing about that is that when the Cubs and then the Astros had the consecutive World Series wins after right. the teardown rebuilding efforts. Right, you have to tank, right. Right, everyone decided that's the thing. The only thing about that is in order to tank successfully, pretty much everyone well. Yeah, you have to tank well, and pretty much everyone else has to compete because right. you are then alone right. at the top of right. the draft every year. You can take your right. Chris Bryant and Kyle Schwarbers or your cheating Astros, your Carlos Correa's or what have you. Um, but if everyone's doing it, there is definitely going to be a team like the Tigers who decide right. to tank, and then they keep tanking, and they get right. nothing for right. a decade. Yeah, that is a tough situation. It really the, is. Uh, the, the Tigers, I mean, they, they were in here at Fenway a little bit ago, and you're like, what is... And the amazing thing about them is, you know, A.J. Hinch is their manager, and it's like... He must really love it, right? I mean, couldn't he? Like, why take that job? Like, wouldn't he be better off in like as a studio for a year or so? You know, the cheating thing with that, you know, totally slide away and then slide back with a team. I mean, that job, he, like, they were here, and I'm like, really? AJ Hinch is the why? That's an addiction. Yeah. Right? That's a problem, I think. Well, yeah, AJ Hinch was he there for the, the the nadir of the Astros? Like, it was I think Bo Porter for a couple of years. Did he come on after that? So maybe he's yeah. addicted to the very worst leading into what he hopes is better. Maybe. I don't like know. He, very interesting. Yeah, maybe he thinks that if he's able to take the Tigers back into contention in a few years, he can change his own personal narrative from the guess, guy who yeah. oversaw the cheating to, hey, I've done this twice and once legally. So how about that? Huh? <laughs> right. I, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is. Yeah, it, it is. Right. Right. Like the Padres. I think that's why it was so great to see what they did this offseason. A, me- a mid-market yeah. team that's spent. Uh, it's interesting the AL East, right? The Blue Jays, I think, kind of are trying to follow that Padres path where they spent some more money this offseason. But uh, it's a tough, tough division as always. As yeah, you know, and, and to do that, especially in a situation like the Blue Jays, you have to keep spending for a couple of years. Like, even if it doesn't work this year, you have to keep it up because that young core, I'm sure they've determined they're not going to be able to hold, like, all of them forever because they spend it right. in Toronto Blue Guerrero, Jays. Guerrero, Bichette, Biggio. Yeah. My favorite so, 90s team. They're back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that like if you, all of a sudden, like if you draft the sons of Hall of Famers, it yeah. turns out genetic. Who knew? Who knew? That's the new market inefficiency. Yes, yes. Uh, Ted Williams' kid might have been ahead of the curve all those years ago when he was trying Absolutely. to sell his DNA. Good Let's lord, go to nepotism. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the kind of thing that your window is open now if you're one of those teams. So yeah, absolutely go for it. And honestly. When you see Toronto and San Diego spending, that should be shaming like every John Henry or Tom Ricketts in the world. Like these are mid-market teams that are going balls to the wall right now. Like how dare you tell me you can't afford Mookie Betts or you can't afford Chris Bryant. That's right. You You guys do have a very loathsome owner, Tom Ricketts. Oh, the worst. Yeah. like, I'd rather have John Henry, at least. uh, Yeah. Like at least philosophically, John Henry is decent. But yeah, yeah, Tom Ricketts, like when – you know, one of your brothers is the head of the Francis fundraising division. Right. And the other is quite literally trying to kill every prisoner in Nebraska. Yeah, that's it. Oh, is, is that is, is his uh, brother, the governor of Nebraska? Yep. Pete Ricketts. Pete Ricketts? Uh, oh, yeah, really? Was a Cubs co-owner until he had to divest them when he became governor, because I guess they're still willing to follow that for some reason. But they're Upstanding yeah. individuals, I'm sure. Oh, God. Like, if, if I could... It, it's it's it, I guess kind of similar to what you said about Henry in the sense that it's weird to think that less than five years removed from the World Series that we were all dreaming of the most, 
everybody in Chicago. Like, if you can make the Ricketts disappear, we take that wish in a heartbeat. Well, here's my question for you, though, since we are an, on OutSports podcast with Pride Nights. Like, the Cubs have always been a leader, I think, in terms of LGBTQ inclusion on the field. I think you've written about that. But their ownership group, obviously, no friend to the community, donating to people who want to. So how does that play? It's a really weird dichotomy because the yeah. one owner who is somewhat redeemable is Laura Ricketts, who okay. I believe is is the first out lesbian owner of any team in baseball. Oh, right. Because she okay. joined before Billie Jean King bought into the Dodgers right. and her partner. Um so Laura Ricketts is kind of the one who's responsible for the outreach to the community. And I think she also kind of guides Tom PR wise uh, because they, they work very closely with Bill Gubrud, who runs the out at Wrigley promotion every year that's been going on for 20 years. It's kind of been like even before official pride days were a thing that was the, Hey, let's get everybody in boys town for a day at the ballpark promotion. Right. So she is someone who is, active in local progressive politics and especially in, in community outreach. But at the same time, Pete Ricketts, again, her brother, when he right. ran for governor of Nebraska, ran on an anti-marriage equality platform. So how's that Thanksgiving dinner going at the Ricketts household? I know how it is. Probably like They're the Cheneys. And listening to Joe Ricketts spew anti-Muslim hate. So they probably like the Cheneys. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's a very good comp, actually. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There you go. Going from baseball comps to comping like satanic Republican politicians. Oh. Yeah, it's, hey. it's right along the lines there. You said it, not me. I welcome all listeners to the sports kiki. Yeah. yeah well, the, more sa- the more satanic, the better in some instances. <laughs> it's, uh, and uh, speaking of Satan, hey, let's go to uh, – we got a uh, big old series this weekend, the first Yankee Red Sox. That's right. Up. That is this weekend. And I ask about that. Is that Please. The new – Cool series in baseball that everyone has said circled on the Padres, Dodgers, right? Padres, yeah. Dodgers, yeah. yeah. Right. Is there any sense in Boston right now that you got to kind of reclaim the throne a bit from that rivalry? Well, I don't know if we can live up to the first Padres, Dodgers series. That was pretty crazy. Every game was phenomenal. Like yeah. I wanted to watch every single game of that series, and I can't wait till they meet again in June. You do you have extra innings? Yes. Yeah, I've so got. You, you stay up. You got the West Coast games. Mm-hmm. I spent so many nights of my childhood sitting alone in my parents' darkened living room watching Felix Hernandez starts. That was awesome. And what I loved about the teams out West is I always felt like, because I also was a real loser and really like sampled the regional announce teams. Mm -hmm. I felt like that the West always had the best announcers. The Giants were awesome. Uh, The A's, great now yep. Don Arcillo's in with the Padres. I never personally liked watching Vin Scully, but, you know, that's hmm. okay. I mean, how could – I mean, you know, it was like 85 when I was watching. <laughs> you don't like connections to, you know, the entirety of baseball history? Like, I, It was interesting. I mean, he talks a lot for the yeah. whole game. I mean, alone. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, a lot of good announcers out west. But do we need to reclaim the throne, Ken? Uh I think there is kind of that feeling that the Red Sox and Yankees are the Kings anyway. There's still a lot of uh, dislike for the Yankees around here. I mean, they're kind of become much more of a a corporatized anonymous group, but people still love to make fun of the Yankees. Uh, They love it when the Rays beat the Yankees, for example, (laughs) earlier this year in April, when the Yankees got off to that slow start and nobody besides Garrett Cole could get anybody out. People loved that. Um, So yeah, the Yankees still, and even me, you know, am I, now, grizzled years, you know, I've been sports media a very long time. 
I still hate the Yankees. Like, I don't like the Yankees. I don't like Yankees fans. I, I don't like anything that they represent. So that's the one thing that sticks with you. There's just a... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you on that. Uh, just as an experiment, say the words Yadier Molina to me. Yeah, Yadier Molina. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Really? Oh, well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not a fan like, at all. But but yeah, so I, I, I get I get the, the yes. bone deep hatred. I, the bone I, deep hatred. The Cardinals. I mean, I, yeah, who could like the Cardinals either? I mean, they're like the, the Midwestern Yankees. Who could hate the us? Cardinal oh, we're the best Cardinal fans in way. baseball, Alex. Come on. I know. The Cardinal way. Oh, that's, that's a story. Then in 04, the Red Sox beat the Cardinals, and the Cardinal fans are like congratulating them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all smarm. It's, it's, it's uh, all smarm. Yeah. And they, they've started Yankee suck chants with only like 5,000 in the stands at Fenway, haven't they? Yeah. Yankee suck this week got sur- replaced by Kyrie sucks, but I think they're back, <laughs> to, but I think they're back to Yankees now. Yeah, Yan- that's a classic. Cha- they used to sell Yankee suck shirts outside that's of Fenway. The original suck shirt, right? Like- the original, the original suck shirt. Yep, yep. I don't think they do that anymore. They, it's a little more family friendly now down there. But those mm-hmm. were those were the days. I loved, uh, like, yeah, I loved those. Like, just give me Giambi, Sheffield. You know, Kevin Brown. I'll throw him in there for some reason because he was not good with the Yankees. But those teams, you know, oh three. Those were like. Those are serious teams. Those are great, great games, great rivalries, great. I would say Red Sox Yankees from about 99 through 0708 is I don't think you'll find another rivalry in professional sports with more juice to it than they had for that 10-year run. Like anytime you have an 80-year-old coach trying to beat the shit out of a three-time Cy Young winner on the field, yeah. That, that's a special baseball moment. Right. Oh, yeah. You had three ALCS meetings in five years. You had 03, followed by 04. You had A-Rod. I mean, go on down. Then we're not even scratching the surface with, with stuff that happened. Yeah. It was insane. And, honestly, and, and the comp I give about why Dodgers-Padres is so exciting right now is that those April series were the first time I've been that jacked up about an April series for teams I had no rooting interest in since A-Rod's first visit to Fenway in 04. Right. Like, it's that right. level of fun. One uh, of the greatest what-ifs ever. A-Rod for Nomar. Yeah. And Maglio Ordonez, I think, would have come to the Red Sox as well in that mm-hmm. trade. John Lester would have gone to Texas. Uh, yeah. So, one of the on great behalf of Nation, thank you for not making that. Because yes. I, I prefer this universe, if, if at all possible. Yes. Uh, Alex, do you have anything to plug while I still have you here? Who's on the Kiki this week? I think just me. I was away for some days, so didn't didn't book a guest. Uh, maybe I'll have you back. Your Ken Schultz episodes always do well, as I said. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We're gonna talk pride. Why is why is it important for sports teams to have pride, Ken? Why is that important? We have the answers on the sports kiki. Awesome. That's finally finally gonna get answers to that. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that I do well from the podcast where you said you barely have Satanist on anytime. So very good. Makes a lot of sense, Alex Reamer. Podcasts always do well when you're on them because you are a fun talk, sir. It's a pleasure. Ken, always fun.